Good afternoon. This is the weekly wrap for Saturday, December 23rd. Well, starting with the price action for the week, corn closed down 10 cents, closing at 4.73 a bushel. Beans were down 16 cents, closing at 12.99. Chicago wheat closed down 13 at 6.16, and Kansas City closed down 19 cents at 6.23. Cotton market was largely unchanged, closing at 79.76, and the crude oil market was up $1.80 a barrel, closing at 73.56, while the U.S. dollar closed down 1% at lows not seen since middle of July. Managed money were heavy sellers of corn for the week, selling 29,000 contracts, keeping their short at 180,000 short now. Managed money were heavy sellers of soybeans on the week, selling 20,000 contracts, moving their long to just a modest 10,000 contracts. And in wheat, in total, they were small buyers of 6,000 contracts, keeping their short position at 121,000. For cotton, they were sellers of 7,800 contracts on the week, moving their long to just a modest 1,200 contracts. What's interesting to note is that over the last six weeks, managed money have been heavy sellers of commodities selling 330,000 contracts, and they're now the shortest they've been combined in three and a half years. What they apparently seem to be waiting on, and this is sort of the market narrative, not mine, but they're looking for either improvement in demand or reduction in supply. Things like better export demand, which we have seen in the soybean market pretty dramatically over the last several weeks, a weakening of the U.S. dollar, We saw that over the last week. Uh, Rough Brazilian weather, we've seen that over the last month or two. And a rally in crude oil, which we have not seen yet, but we probably have seen stabilization of prices. So I guess my argument is, is that what the market is waiting on is what we're seeing happen right underneath our nose uh, at this very moment. But the market doesn't want to trade it. I believe they've been hooked on this narrative for the last two years now with a stronger U.S. dollar, higher interest rates. That is forcing them to take a very negative view on commodities. But I think that's about to reverse shortly after the first of the year. And we'll talk more about that uh, in the presentation here. From a macro perspective, uh, the geopolitical risks continue to remain elevated. Now we're moving into Argentina, where Xavier Malay, who is the new president, decided to, in the middle of the week to nullify over 300 laws, government laws, that were regulating prices to the consumer, uh, food, medicine, um, transportation, uh, a lot of the businesses that the government had uh, taken over. He's uh, reprivatizing those, allowing the private sector to come in and take those over the oil industry, the airline industry. And so by official decree, an emergency decree, overnight, he's completely turned their economy upside down. So this deregulation, if you will, of consumer prices, housing, um, has turned their uh, economy into chaos. Bus tickets have apparently jumped from $50 to $500. Uh, Consumer goods uh, at the grocery store have skyrocketed with stores making hourly adjustment in those prices. Remember, inflation in Argentina has been running at 140% over this last year. And so what this move did here now was reaccelerate that 
to record high levels with the idea and the hope that once the private sector takes over this economy, that prices will re-regulate and calm down inflation in the long run. But for the moment, the country as a whole is in complete chaos. There will be lots of riots. Uh, China has promised to um, retaliate by cutting off their payment system. Uh, I think the sweetheart deal that they were getting on some of the commodity prices has come to an end. Uh, Argentina has replaced their ambassador to China. Uh, and so it looks like that relationship has hit a riff here. <clears throat> and again, I'm not exactly sure how it plays out as it relates to commodities. I'm guessing that the farmers there will be forced to hold their inventories for longer to protect themselves against what is incredibly uh, spiraling inflation. <clears throat> In the Middle East, we saw some big events t- play out again. Uh, Iran who supports a handful of rebel factions around the the Middle East. Uh, They financially support them. They train them. They give them intelligence, uh, a total of 11 groups. Uh, But the most popular ones that we keep hearing about in the news are Hamas, who is based in Palestine. They were the ones responsible for the attack in Israel on October 7th. Hezbollah, who is in Lebanon. They also have a Hezbollah uh, faction in Iraq. And then the Houthis, who are based in Yemen, <clears throat> who have been responsible for a lot of these attacks on cargo ships in uh, the Middle East here over the last several months, creating chaos there as a number of private sector um, fleet operations have been forced to cancel movements in that Red Sea area and forced to take longer routes, creating uh, higher expenses and longer transit times for cargo moving in that area. The U.S. uh, has been, for the most part, standing on the side, uh, sort of verbally reprimanding Iran, but they took a deeper step this week, calling them out, telling Iran that they now have evidence they were deeply involved on these attacks by the Houthis, and they have now prepared their own military operation called Operation Prosperity Guardian, where the U.S., with uh, a number of allied nations, coalition, if you will, We're going to go into the Middle East and protect that area and allow the free passages of ships safely. Uh, As soon as that coalition got started, it basically already broke down. And so it will leave the U.S. in a difficult spot, unilaterally providing military support in that area to protect the Middle East. So we'll see how that develops. Uh, The Ukraine-Russian war is still on the back page, uh, but that continues to linger on. China's economy remains relatively weak, but they promised big stimulus after the first of the year. And as it relates to the Federal Reserve, the PCE, which is their sort of preferred inflation um, uh, narrative that they watched the closest, came in lower again on Wednesday, coming in at 3.2% year over year, tracking at 2.2% over three months, the next three months, and closer to 1.9% over the next six months. So understand that the Federal Reserve's main goal has been to get inflation down to 2%. It looks like sometime in the next three months we're going to hit that target. That has been what has caused the excitement in the market, telling the market or believing that the market will now see rate cuts by the Federal Reserve as soon as March. That is a dramatic shift in the narrative. Remember, the market has been talking, uh, the Fed has been talking the market about higher for longer and no rate cuts expected until the end of 2024. But with the speed and the pace of inflation and how quickly it's falling, those rate cuts have now been anticipated as early as March. 
The Federal Reserve and their data is calling for three rate cuts next year, but the private sector believes it'll be closer to six rate cuts, which would ultimately drive the U.S. uh, uh, Federal Reserve uh, rate down to just under 4%, some 3.7% by the end of the year. Now, remember, the private sector has not had a particularly good track record, um, so we're not exactly who's right. <clears throat> but at this, point, at this point, it's very clear that rates are coming down. That ought to soften the blow for crop rates and for interest rates on farm equipment and things of that nature going forward. Of course, the biggest impact for us as it relates to agriculture is the value of the U.S. dollar. Remember that ever since the rate hike regime started, the, the, the managed money belief was that it would lead to higher dollar and a weaker commodity complex. That's what they've uh, priced in or been locked on for almost the last two years. And now that that narrative is flipping, it looks like interest rates are coming down and the U.S. dollar should start coming down pretty aggressively. We broke this week uh, to levels we haven't seen in six months and we're right up against support, a five-year support technically on the U.S. dollar. So we'll have to keep an eye if that area holds. Uh, as far as export sales, uh, we, they were uh, quite strong for soybeans overall. We've been catching up uh, on that uh, versus where we were just a few months ago. We're much higher on wheat. We're much higher on sorghum. And we remain relatively weak on cotton and okay on corn. So that um, improvement in export sales in beans, wheat, and sorghum has been relatively sneaky by China. The market hasn't really talked about it that much. Um, They have severely altered their buying behavior from large forward purchases and demand that's relatively easy to read to now more spot purchases, more heavy spot purchases that make uh, calculating demand very difficult. It masks real demand and it makes forward forecasting very difficult. But make no mistake about it, we've seen extraordinary demand push from China on, on soybeans, on wheat and on sorghum. Uh, My suspicion is that cotton and corn are not far behind. Jumping over to South American weather, the battle between the euro, which has been over-promising rain, uh, continues uh, to fight the GFS, which has shown a small weather pattern change here for the next week. They don't show nearly as much as the euro, uh, so we are expecting some rain in South America over the next week. But then where the models differ again is that the euro is calling for a permanent change in that pattern into the month of January, while the GFS flips back to a much hotter, much drier forecast for the month of January. And in fact, it's extending that belief all the way out through next spring into May. So we'll have to see how this battle continues. If you look at the maps, though, the current root zone zone moisture levels are worse than they were in 2015-16 when Brazil lost 15% of their soybean crop. And total precip over the last three months now rates the worst in the last 40 years in the month in uh, over the last three months in Brazil. So the, the, the problem is, is trying to calculate the scale of the losses in Brazil. It's a, such a large geographical area, and some areas have been getting rain, rains, most areas have not. And so if we compare the loss ratio to what we saw in 15-16, where clearly we're, we're coming in in a far worse con, uh, situation than 15-16, 
A 15% loss would mean 25 million metric tons, which would be close to a billion bushels of soybeans would be lost if that were to verify. And so, you know, clearly there's no way the market has that priced in. I think the current consensus is that we've lost 5 to 6 million metric tons, not 25. Uh, a 20% loss would be close to 33 million metric tons. That would be 1.2 billion bushels of soybeans. And a 25% loss would be 40 million metric tons. And that would be 1.5 billion bushels of beans. The problem is, is that there's no way to know that number or confirm that number. You would need, in order to hit those 20 to 25% losses, you would need this drought to extend through January. And it's just too early to tell. I, I absolutely believe we've locked in a 10 to 15% loss already, and there's no way to recover from that. And from that, I believe that we will be shifting some demand out of Brazil over to the United States. Now, remember, our pipeline is at 204, we're sitting at 245 million bushels of soybeans. It would only take 35 million bushels of new demand to push us below or right up against pipeline levels, which is that 5% stocks to use ratio. And so, you know, we've already cut exports year over year. The government had to drop them by 240 million bushels versus last year to make the balance sheet work out after we lost those 3-4 million acres of planted soybeans early in the year. Remember, the only way this balance sheet works out is they had to go in and slash export demand. And so even though the government put it down and the market believes it, we're still very early in the process. And as demand continues to shift, it sure looks like that uh, we could be sitting on a powder keg here uh, for soybeans if we end up verifying losses in that 15 to 20 percent area uh, out of Brazil. Where things could get more interesting in South America is if this pattern uh, continues to lock in. Remember, it's been locked in for three straight months already. And so if it were to, to continue, as some of the GFS modeling shows us that it is, and stays six around for JFM, these losses would then move from just soybeans over to corn and to cotton. But it's too early to make that call, and time will tell, but we'll certainly know more by March. So in summary, the macro picture uh, continues to uh, hold on to that, that thread or that theme that they've been trading for the last year and a half, call it two years, of that high interest rate, high dollar weak commodity trade. Remember in January of 2022 when this inflation started, interest rates at the Federal Reserve were only 0.08%, so one-tenth of 1%. And since then, they've raised it to 5.3%. So they've raised rates five and a quarter percent in the last two years. And so now the market is anticipating a reduction of those rates to something below 4% by the end of the year. So it's very clear that that macro narrative is in the early stages of shifting. The seasonals, remember, are very strong for corn, beans, wheat, and cotton for into the end of this year, well into the first six months of next year. So managed money has been fighting that trend, being heavy, heavy sellers into the end of the year. But make no mistake about it, there's a very strong seasonal bias that's bullish for commodities into the first of next year. South American weather remains difficult and not good. Moisture profiles are telling us that losses are there. I believe it's already been in that 10 to 15% area. The question is, does the, if the pattern continues in the, through the month of January, will the market have to start digesting something closer to 20%? Then we have liftoff in soybeans 
and corn and wheat. The January-March soybean spread has narrowed in from 21.5 cents on the carry to just 6.5. So we are seeing some cash market strength in the soybean market. I think that is China coming in, buying and getting themselves covered on what they believe to be a problematic uh, situation in Brazil. We'll keep an eye on that, but that spread is a fundamentally bullish development. We are seeing basis levels uh, start to firm as well around the United States. So that's uh, seasonally should also help out the, the commodity markets. So in uh, from a technical perspective, what we have been trading over the last year and a half is what's called a falling wedge pattern in corn, beans, and wheat. And so it's a long-term bear cycle that narrows and consolidates toward the very end of the wedge. And when you break out of that wedge, you tend to have a very strong move to the upside. I believe that's the pattern we're trading. I think that's closely related to the macro picture on interest rates and the dollar. I think that's all about to reverse after the first of the year. So from a marketing perspective, I'm still looking for that 5 to 550 corn market. I'm still looking for the 14 to $15 bean market. These are all Q1, quarter one, first quarter prices for next year. Wheat, I'm still looking for 750 Kansas City, eight, excuse me, 750 Chicago, $8 Kansas City. And I'm still looking for cotton to eventually break out through the 90 cent area and trade in the 90 to 95 cent area. Remember, we've been trading in this very difficult range for cotton between 75 and 90 cents for over a year now. It's very much contained the price action. So certainly 90 cents is the most critical price we can expect to see going forward. That will be heavy resistance. It'll be difficult to break through that. It would probably need reduced U.S. acres and a problem or a continued problem with South American weather and a weakening of the dollar that would all drive more business to the U.S. and a reduction in global production. I think all those three things are in play and we'll know a lot more by the first quarter of next year. Rice continues to be a very strong commodity. <clears throat> at the moment, it's technically overbought and headed for resistance at $18. But based on global pricing, which are all setting records around the world, it cl- looks pretty clear to me that rice is headed to $20 a hundredweight here on the old crop and has a very legitimate job, job or chance of stealing a bunch of acres in the Delta. And I'll just summarize by saying this. I know I've been looking for higher prices into the end of this year. I was expecting managed money to cover these short positions, uh, but they've actually accelerated their short positions, held on to them, dug in on this whole narrative, and, and continue to, to, to hold what are very large short positions going into the end of the year uh, and, and holding these until after the first of the year. And so while the price action hasn't, the timing hasn't been exactly accurate on my part here because I was expecting a a neutralizing of their positions that we have not seen, it only provides, in my opinion, far more volatility when they do turn because if they wait too long and the South American weather verifies hot and dry, their ability to get out of these positions and turn them will cost them a lot more money. They may not care. Uh, And and certainly after the first of the year, uh, their slate is set clean. They'll get their bonuses at the end of the year. But it it, it certainly lends itself to more volatility in the first quarter of next year, not less, in my opinion, in these commodity complex. Okay, that's uh, the update here. These are my opinions and not those of ADM or ADMIS. Have a wonderful weekend. Talk to you soon.